Bonjour, ni hao, hello, hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. My birthday is uh, Sunday, August 20th, and this is technically my birthday week, and I'm going to take that. <laughs> Although some people um, go beyond that and celebrate a birthday month. Uh, um, I don't go quite that far. But uh, Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops will be playing a show with me um, at Oscar Blues in Longmont this Saturday, August 19th. Um, I'll be on drums and Scott Coulter um, or Scotty um, will be on keys. Um, we hope to see you there and, and hope you share a couple of drinks with me. Uh, Clay was nice enough to come over and be the guest host on Mile High Stash for this birthday episode interviewing me and asking me about my five albums, which a lot of people have been um, um, emailing and and asking me about since I started the show. Uh, Clay is a great interviewer who I've learned a lot from, and uh, you should absolutely check out Clay's ongoing um, one Thursday a month songwriters interview and music um, show at the uh, Roots Music Project in Boulder. Um, anyway, thanks to everyone in Colorado, Virginia, France, and elsewhere who's listened to me grill interesting people about music and their lives on Mile High Stash for 40-some episodes now. Um, and for Lance Perryman and the Dab Dispensary for sponsoring this episode. I am in dire need of some decent microphones, headphones, and other equipment. So if you're thinking about birthday presents, um, any donations you're able to make at milehighstash.com or via at AdamIce9 on Venmo are always much appreciated. All right. We'll talk again after my chat with Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops. Clay and I have been friends for 15 years and, and bandmates um, off and on, and I'm very grateful he came by to host my birthday episode of Mile High Stash right before we jumped in my car to play a show in Greeley together. Um, I am turning Troy Palomalo years this Sunday, for anyone who knows how old that is. The Dab is a veteran-owned dispensary with seven locations in Colorado, owned and operated by Lance Perryman. The Dab offers everything from flour and edibles to pre-rolls, rosin, and accessories like pipes, paper, and pens. Whether you're in search of exotic flour or chill CBD, head to a Dab location in Denver, Aspen, Glenwood Springs, Louisville, or even Parachute, Colorado today, or order at thedab303.com. Don't forget to mention this episode of Mile High Stash in the next 30 days at any DAB location to receive 10% off your purchase. Welcome to Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks, what five records would you bring to a secluded Colorado cabin in the event 
of a zombie apocalypse. My name is Clay Rose. I'm your guest host today. And that is because I have a very special guest here today, the usual host of Mile High Stash, Mr. Adam Perry. And this is his special birthday episode. He's turning an age. An age. An age on August 20th. So please send him lots of money because he has lots of expensive drug habits and he has children who have even more expensive drug habits. So you can keep this podcast on the air and keep Adam in good supply with a generous Venmo birthday donation. Okay, without further ado, hello, Mr. Adam Perry. What's up, Clay? (laughs) How are you feeling about your birthday? Oh, my birthday? I'm feeling old and uh, um, thinking about, we've done some shows either on my birthday or around my birthday. There's one at the Lariat a long time ago. And then last year at a place in Golden that I think we both decided not to play anymore, but it was, <laughs> it was a pretty fun day. We won't name that place. Yeah. The hosts of shows like this, I feel like, are usually not that interesting. You know, that's why they interview other people. You think? Like, Mark Marin is a hero of mine. And uh, I think he's a great interviewer. But when he talks about himself and his cats and everything. Well, geez, I mean, he spends a third of every single podcast talking about his cats. People must like it. I guess so, but I try not to do that. Like, when I go over five minutes on the intro, I'm feeling like, well, this is pretty long. Like, I don't. He does like a 15-minute oh intro God. every time. I fast forward through it. So do I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fast forward through this, folks. This is going to be intensely interesting. Well, when you interview people, it's like therapy. And when I interview people, it's like, what's your, what's your favorite this and that? Ah, yeah. So you've uh, really kicked the hornet's nest today, inviting me to interview you. Yeah, that's why I was in the bathroom like six or seven times. Right before. <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't worry. I'll, I'll go. I'll go easy on you. Okay, so I think maybe a lot of people don't know. Um, where, where are you from? You're from Pittsburgh, correct? I think everybody knows that because I li- literally have like... You, you have know. a Pittsburgh tattoo and you're wearing a Pittsburgh <laughs> yeah, hat right I, now. I literally have Steelers socks on too. But so. is that where you're originally from? Is that where you were yeah, born? Yeah, I lived there until I was 21 when I moved to San Francisco. And you had never gone anywhere other than like family road trip? The farthest um, away from home I'd ever been when I was 21 was... Uh, New Orleans, because I had an uncle who lived there. And when I moved to San Francisco at 21, I was the first member of my family. I'm still the only member of my family to ever live anywhere but Pittsburgh. Really? And I showed up in San Francisco with a duffel bag with like some books and clothes. And I had never been there. I is just, is yeah. Pittsburgh that amazing? <laughs> that it would just like fulfill multiple <laughs> generations' I, desires? There was a lot of work there for a long time. And uh, when I was a kid, it was when the steel industry was almost gone. Now it's completely gone, but I remember the smoke in the sky. And um, So did you watch your town become a ghost town? It was probably a ghost town like when I was growing up. So I didn't really watch it become a ghost town. But the ironic thing is, is how... Um, unexpectedly beautiful and cool and interesting Pittsburgh is now. They've like really revitalized it. And there's 
So when you were growing up, it was pretty run down? It was like Detroit and Cleveland. Just huge, huge <laughs> swaths are. of mm-hmm. vacant buildings and yeah. boarded up windows. Yeah, it's not like that anymore. That seems like a junkie's paradise. Yeah, exactly. Were there a lot of junkies around? Uh, <laughs> not in the suburbs, no. It also seems like fertile breeding ground for punk rock culture. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that was the first musical ex- experience I had playing music was in... Um, as a teenager in Pittsburgh, like clubs and bars and garages, and they would put an X on your hand and you would go play. And there were all these amazing bands like Al Rotten and uh, Submachine and Anti-Flag. Those are you all know. Pittsburgh bands? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Did you ever play in like vacant warehouses? Um, there was a place called the Millvale Industrial Theater, which was a vacant warehouse. And you guys would play in there? Yeah. Throw shows? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Denver, we... We used to have raves in the 90s and mm-hmm. vacant warehouses. And, and Boulder, and, too. Yeah, but more in Denver. Mm-hmm. The ones in Boulder were, I don't know, they were a little bit more legit. Like, I think people got mm-hmm. permits and stuff. Yeah. But in Denver, it was totally quiet. And yeah. You'd, usually, you'd have just enough time to eat enough drugs to start losing your mind. And mm-hmm. then all the garage doors would swing open and the SWAT team would come in. And you'd <laughs> right. have a really right. bad night. <laughs> I love these photos of you with like a like a legit mohawk, like Liberty spikes. Yeah, yeah. you should bring that back. Yeah, I was thinking of it actually. Mm. I don't know. Right now, I'm going through a furry phase. I'm just going to get furrier. Are you going to start like wearing a furry costume on top of that? I might. That's a good idea. Get a yeah. raccoon hat or something. Yeah. So okay, so in in Pittsburgh, when mm. you're coming of age, you started playing music at the same time. You started really finding your genre to listen to i started playing the drums when i was nine and i remember getting kicked out of the school band because i wanted to play the drum set and they were like no you gotta just stand there with the snare drum and learn your rudiments and do all this stuff and then you know contribute on the timpani and the triangle and stuff and i was like i saw the video for one by metallica and i was like i want to do that you know, you couldn't do that in the third grade band. So So just, that's what you were listening to at nine years old, was Metallica? I remember going on trips with my family sitting in the back seat with like a yellow Sony Walkman. Do you oh, yeah, one I of those? remember those. And I had like a Scooby Doo stuffed animal and I was listening to Master Master of Puppets. Wow. And just like I don't think my parents understood like what I was listening to. But yeah. And how did you get hold of that record? Um, it was on cassette. I mean, that's easy to get at like national record. Market. But I mean, how did you even know to get it? I mean, because at that time when mm-hmm. I was nine, I was listening to like DJ Jazzy Jeff yeah. and the Fresh Prince and Wham. I like that too. And <laughs> New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Hanging Tough. I remember that. I mean, that's what was being force fed to young kids at that age. So. Not exactly. Because MTV would show like one by Metallica with the guy that like... <laughs> Didn't have any limbs and couldn't see. And, I didn't hear. have MTV. Oh. We, we had PBS and NBC and ABC. That was it. No, oh. my mother, uh, I think, realized what MTV was when I was and what I was being exposed to, and she banned it. She called the cable company and had it taken off when I was like ten. But it was too late. The damage was done. Damage Incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite memories of music and how music 
affected me was that I, I was in Pittsburgh at Fiore's Pizza when I was eight, and we were waiting um, on a takeaway pizza. There was a jukebox there, and they had Injustice for All. And I think um, I was really into those magazines like Hit Parade, Circus, and all. I was literally eight years old. Spin? Not really spin at that time, because this is the era of metal, like whether it was pop metal or actual metal. Um, but they had Injustice for All on the jukebox. And I don't know if there was already money in it, or I put a quarter in it, but I put Blackened on. And it starts off like soft, um, you know, and there's just like this atmospheric stuff, and then it, it kicks in, and, and like m- my whole body just just shook. And I was like, this is what I want to feel like. Like when somebody does heroin the first time, <laughs> they're like, this is what I want to feel like all the time, you know? So, all right, well, yeah, yeah. we're going to get to the juice here. Yeah. Do either of these records make it to, no. your, to your five? No. Um, What's the first record? Like, let's try to go in chronological order of how you were, when you were exposed to these records. Oh, okay. I mean, a lot of people have asked me, like, as the host, like, what are your five? And I always say I haven't put that much thought into it, which is actually true. But um, I tried to put myself in the situation, you know, that's actually laid out with, with the zombie apocalypse in the cabin and stuff and, like, not cheat. I think I've let a lot of people cheat. Um, and so... Cheat by cheat, you mean, like, anthologies or best ofs or stuff like that? Yeah, you know, and also, like, a mixtape and, and, and stuff like that. And so... I tried to put myself in this actual situation. So this morning, I gave myself, I gave myself like five or ten minutes um, as if there, there actually has been like a rising of the zombies. And I have to go in the garage and I'll grab my bike and go up to Ward you know, with a backpack with five albums in it. So I, I went into my actual collection of vinyl up, upstairs and said to myself, like, I have to pick five and they have to be actually here. You know, so Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan is my absolute favorite album of all time. Really? I feel like it's like a map of my mind. It just like is me and my feelings and my experiences, which is actually deeply sad. How much, how much of that do you think is musical and how much do you think is lyrical? No, it's both. I mean, Not Dark Yet is... Uh, Sinead O'Connor, the other day, I was listening to an interview with her and she was saying, Gun to My Head what's the best song that's ever been written? And she said, um, who's the guy that, Randy Newman, the song uh, Wedding in Arkansas? I don't know. Um, and I hadn't heard it, and I listened to it, and I was like, I didn't realize that Randy Newman had this depth and complexity of songwriting. Anyway, come to my head, I would say, not dark yet. Wow. It's the greatest song ever. However, I've never found that album on vinyl, so I don't have it. So it's not on my, it's not on my list. Um, I think you can cheat in that way. We know that no. record is available on vinyl. It's available, but you know, if this happened and I had to leave the house, I don't have it. I consider that cheating. Well, I couldn't take anything then because I hawked my entire vinyl collection for yeah. drugs. Like 20 I let years you cheat ago. on the show then. Yeah, you did. You know? Thanks. 
because otherwise it would have been like, I don't know, I guess whatever they got in the nickel bin at the Goodwill on the way up to the mountains. Right, that's fair. Yeah. Um, me and you were interviewed in, in Belgium in a town called Essen, I think. Um, and this guy... That was the stinky... No, 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 not oh, the radio okay. station one. Oh, okay. The photographer, uh, Jan, oh, yeah, yeah. came backstage. And we were in the, we were in the kitchen or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he asked some question like, what three albums are your, are your favorite? So, uh, and I said, Sandinista by The Clash, which I have right here, because it is three albums. <laughs> and it, it's not cheating because they all fit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right here. <laughs> Uh, Sandinista, it's a great album if you're stuck somewhere, because it's got punk, reggae, hip-hop, uh, Caribbean, I would say blues. I mean, it, it just has everything. It's got 36 tracks on it. When did you first hear that record? I think I was probably um, 18 or 19, and I was a fan of The Clash, and I didn't know that they played music like this. I thought they were just a punk band. And... Um, this is the, I've had this since I was 19, this copy. It's the British original pressing, um, and it's got a book. It's like a magazine in it as well. So there's a lot to read. Mm -hmm. You're bringing reading material as well. Yeah. Did that record yeah. turn you on to reggae? Had you been exposed to it before then? We used to go to like Ocean City, Maryland when I was a kid, and Bob Marley was everywhere. That was the first time I heard reggae. But The Clash... They worked with Lee Scratch Perry and Mikey Dredd and other people. And I think through being a nerd, reading interviews with Joe Strummer and him talking about like uh, the harder they come, like that's, that's what really made me realize that Bob Marley's not the only reggae artist. Yeah. Which in America, I, I think a lot of people don't know reggae yeah. outside of Bob Marley. Yeah, and then there's Rocksteady, which is really what mm. The Harder They Come was, right? Like mm. Jimmy Cliff was playing Rocksteady. And Bob yeah. Marley was playing Rocksteady at the beginning. But Toots and the Maytals. Yeah, Toots is the yeah. ultimate. Yeah. He yeah. spans everything. He encompasses yeah. everything. Yeah, he's like pure happiness. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my first record. All right, so 18 years old, you found that. Yeah. And were you playing in a band then? I was playing in a band from the time I was 11. And did that record influence the sound of your band? No, I mean, uh, no. I mean, it would have if I was the singer-songwriter person, you know. But I just, yeah. I just hit stuff. So, <laughs> so you stayed straight ahead punk through that whole thing. Um, metal, metal, and punk, and then um, in college at Pitt, um, I met a bunch of these Carnegie Mellon nerds in grad school, and. Um, they invited me to join their math rock band. So that's something else that I played. Like math rock? Yeah, like songs in 12. Or yeah. Sorry, songs in 11. And, you know, songs that move back and forth between yeah. time signatures. Yeah. Stuff like that. That stuff drives me crazy. I like listening to it, but if I had to try to play it, I'd lose my mind. You can't really groove on it. Doesn't really work no, it's hard to dance to, too. Like, Tool anybody... is hard to dance to. When they're constantly changing between seven and mm -hmm. five, it's like, I don't know how. I can headbang. That's yeah. it. Well, it's not really dance music. No. <laughs> All right, so moving on. What's, yeah. what's record number two? Murdered by Death is, is my favorite. 
current American band, and I've interviewed Adam like I don't know, seven times, and I have a tattoo of one of the songs on this record, Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon, which came out in 2012 or so. And when I saw them at the Stanley Hotel uh, the first time, I had done an interview with Adam and heard a few songs, and then I went to the show and was just like, this band is everything that I like in music. Um, this record, I think, is their masterpiece, and um, it's really dark and lonely, and it's got like a, a straight ahead rocking songs, and then it's got like almost a cappella, like, like really slow dirges. And this one song, No Oath, No Spell, is the, um, I have a tattoo of that. And that's, that's a song that when I'm on bike rides um, on Poor Man Road or Peak to Peak Highway or something, I'm, I'm always singing that out loud. We won't be broken, there's no curse we haven't spoken. There is no oath, there is no spell to deliver us, so hell. It motivates you to get up the mountain? It just keeps me in my mind, I think. Yeah. Uh, it helps you to remember that nothing matters? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't meditate ex except when I'm riding my bike. I think that's my meditation. And that song is... You're supposed to uh, count your breath, you know, when you meditate. I think when I'm riding a bike, that song is like, it's like counting my breath, you know. How old were you when you heard that album? 34, maybe? 33. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. How about when you first got into Murder by Death? The same. This yeah. is the first album you heard. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's yeah. rare to find music that late in life that will take such a high point on the totem you know what right I mean? like that's yeah. pretty rare mm -hmm. i feel like most of the music that i discover in adulthood is is a fad yeah you know like i'll get way into it for a couple months or maybe a year and then i forget all about mm -hmm. it but the stuff that i found while my brain was developing is just mm -hmm. an intrinsic part of who i am like i'll always listen to those records yeah i mean there is this this common trope that says when you turn 30 whatever music is your favorite just continues to be your favorite forever yeah. but when you work as a music journalist you get like hundreds of emails every day from bands that are like listen to this listen to this oh i mean i'm always digging for new music it just doesn't hit you like right i mean you know. and even so it's like i think as a writer too it's like i'll find some new music and it'll really blow my mind mm. but then as i listen to it i start to peek behind the curtain mm. and see how it's built and see how it's and then the magic is gone like oh mm. i see how they built that and then i'm disillusioned you know but you don't feel that way about like suzanne by leonard cohen uh no i still mm. hear that uh with my beginner's mind mm. yeah i've I don't know why. I think it's because I heard it before I had the ability to analyze it mm -hmm. that I just don't apply the analysis. You know, <laughs> it stays the way it was. Prince used to say that it was impossible for him to enjoy other people's music because when he would listen to it, he'd want to fix it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's definitely how I feel about writing. Like yeah. lyrics, especially there's very few writers where I'm like, oh yeah, there's no, tr there's no fat at all to trim in that song. Mm. It's like I'm always like, oh, that one word, you missed such yeah. an obvious 
mm-hmm. rhyme or you missed such an obvious double meaning there and it still would have rhymed and you know it's hard but you could help people with this clay i don't want to help people <laughs> i i want help <laughs> i don't want help that's great all right so uh what do we got next number 3 is duke ellington hot from the cotton club wow. so this stuff was recorded in the late 20s and it doesn't sound like there was only one or two microphones but that's what they had um so it's like swing swing um is it swing or jazz i would call it swing it's just that it's so interesting what they did i mean they have a trumpet that sounds like a woman singing and they have all these incredible parts that are like weird and dark and um is ace's funeral march on there uh no black and tan fantasy the mooch um mood indigo black and tan fantasy is the first duke ellington song i ever heard it's just so interesting yeah it's like a movie There's a Louis Armstrong song called West End Blues. Yeah. And that is also um, a song that just feels like a film. Yeah. Um, cinematic. Westworld is this show, you know, that I always, um, the first season at least, I found it like so interesting because if you could think of any time in history <laughs> you'd want to visit, it seems like a lot of people like want to go to the Wild West, but I would like to go to the Cotton Club and see Duke Ellington in Harlem um, in the 20s and 30s. So what does this music do for your psyche and your soul that maybe Murder by Death and The Clash don't give you? It's interesting psychologically when, when something instrumental can say so much and tell a story. And Duke Ellington was probably better than anybody else at that. For writing lyrics, it's really good having like mm-hmm. cinematic instrumental music or doing it, homework yeah well it mm-hmm. just conjures all these images and where do they come from i mean they must come from inside you the so, void yeah so you mm-hmm. write them down and even though it was inspired by duke ellington and you never would have had it without that record mm-hmm. you don't owe any of it to duke ellington because there's not a word on that song yeah so you couldn't yeah, yeah, possibly yeah. be ripping him off you know it's sort of a yeah a trick <laughs> when i was in college writing poetry every day multiple times every day i listen to a lot of radiohead um because you can't understand because what i couldn't saying. understand the words <laughs> and i would make up like oh this this might be what yeah, it sounds saying. like yeah and i'd be like this is a, it's a pretty good poem but yeah. it's not whatsoever what he actually said right. but it was inspirational in that yeah way. i do that a lot too yeah or i'll get a song stuck in my head that i don't know the words to mm. and so i'll just write words to that song yeah to that melody to that beat the same cadence everything mm-hmm. It's like, I am completely ripping this artist off, but we don't share a single word of it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do we got next after Duke here? And how old were you when, oh. when you heard Duke Ellington? I don't think I was exposed to jazz, really, until, like a lot of white people, I heard Frank Zappa's Hot Rats when I was like 
15 or 16 and I was like, well, this is good, but then there's this whole other world of this music. And so I, I got into Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk and Coltrane and, and Allington. In picking these records, I knew like there had to be one jazz one. And like, there's not really jazz better than Duke Ellington. Yeah. Well, he predates all those other people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I was first introduced to Miles Davis probably as jazz, right? And it was mm-hmm. like his his crazy, I don't know, it was like bebop. Mm-hmm. And I could not handle it. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. It just sounded like cacophony. Yeah. And then when I found out about Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington, I was like, oh, this stuff is like butter. You yeah. know, this is yeah. delicious. How come none of you jazz guys listen to this and they're like oh yeah like they'd give him props and mm. respect because they seeded the ground but this bebop shit that was what it was all that's the flower you know yeah and i just never really subscribed to that i don't know it's the classic stuff mm-hmm. the swing and the dixieland jazz i love all that and the further it gets into the future mm. the less sense it makes to me miles davis is the only person um, I can uh, compare David Bowie to in that, you know, you can't just listen to one record and say, I don't really like this yeah. because it just spans. Yeah, Sketches of Spain is real mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I really like the old, old stuff. Yeah. So does Jeremy Money. Yeah, yeah, he sure does. <laughs> that he was all five it. of his, yeah, his he albums. Can, he can play it yeah. to a T. Yeah. All right, yeah. well, we got after Duke. Number, what is this, Four? Yeah, this is number four. Um, so I don't have a copy of my favorite album, Time Out of Mind. I couldn't bring it. So uh, the album that, um, ironically, beat Time Out of Mind for album of the year at the Grammys in 1997 was OK Computer. Uh, yeah. And I do have that on vinyl. Sweet. Um, I mean, it has so much on it. It has so many emotions and so many types of music. And it's like a sci-fi movie in an album. Yeah. Um, um, I read a book um, about Radiohead last year. There was one of those things that makes me wonder, like, wow, how did this person spend so much time researching every single thing about not only this band, but them as people in their childhood? And why also? Because I don't think, like, that would take away some of the romance of me liking an artist if, if I knew like what they had for breakfast yeah. when they were in elementary school. Uh, we want to believe they're like Kim Jong-un and mm-hmm. they don't poop. Yeah. yeah, and they always get a hole-in-one every time they play golf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that this writer said was that when Radiohead made OK Computer, Tom York wanted to sing in a different vocal style on each track. And so that, that made me li- listen to it in a different way. And I think that, you know, if I was in um, an apocalyptic situation, this music would be... It sounds pretty apocalyptic. Yeah. And it also, I feel like, did a lot to change popular music mm-hmm. in general. Because yeah. they, were, they were huge right before they put out that record, and they took a major left turn with it. Yeah. And yet it still got on the radio, it still got on MTV, mm-hmm. and... I mean, people compare them to the Beatles, and I can't think of another band more suited to compare to the Beatles. Hmm. I mean, just as far as how much they changed 
popular music in such a short amount of time and that album is like the apex of it but the beatles were only together for like nine years yeah which makes it even more incredible but from pablo honey to okay computer how many years was that uh five right yeah and i mean to me i feel like uh kid a and amnesiac were another step further Mm -hmm. in the same projection that they were on Mm -hmm. but after that i feel like they kind of hit a cul-de-sac like where can you go from here right and they Mm -hmm. kind of just circled the cul-de-sac ever since so that's really the time period that i'm talking Mm -hmm. about how much they influenced music was that five to seven years they're one of the greatest bands ever i mean they're in the top 10 or 20 yeah you know um my like final album had to be a woman. I don't know how anybody. Wait, a minute. I'm just noticing. Yeah, there's no Pogues record in here. That's because I don't have a, "If I Should Fall from Grace with God" on vinyl. So but it would be know, if you had it, right? Yes, and I thought about that. I mean, that album. Um, the Pogues are one of those few bands, um, like Leonard Cohen where the actual writing, like if, if you take it from the music and just put it on a piece of paper, you'd be like, this is as good as like James, yeah. James Joyce or yeah. something like that. And that album even has a Christmas song. So if you're in the right. cabin long enough, you're like, oh, it's Christmas time on Christmas. Song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I don't know how anybody who comes on this show and chooses five albums doesn't include a female voice because could you go the rest of your life alone and yeah, no. never hear a female voice in fact that's pretty much i don't know i go through phases of like months or even a year where that's all i want to listen to yeah and it might just be because i'm so sick of my own voice i don't mm-hmm. want to hear anything that sounds like it but mm-hmm. i mean it's also just it's a whole another ethereal plane mm-hmm. you know the female voice so who is it who's the female um, I got this right here. It is Roberta Flack. Nice. And um, most people these days, the last 30 years, they know Killing Me soft, Softly because the of the Fugees. Uh, but it's actually a Roberta Flack song. And it's like butter, like you said before. And it's got her... I don't know if you like it, but um, she has like a 10-minute version of Leonard Cohen's Suzanne. Oh yeah. That I could listen to over and over. And I've done that. I've dropped the needle and then listened to it and then dropped the needle again over and over and over again. It's 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 beautiful and it's also really weird. Suzanne takes you down to a place by the river. You can hear the boats go by Spend the night forever And you know that she's half crazy But that's why you want to Yeah, I have heard that record. I actually was listening to it just a few months ago. I think it was the first time that I'd heard it, like, popped up, recommended to me on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Probably because it has Suzanne on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, you think you'd be satisfied now? You don't have time out of mind. You don't have the pose. (laughs) 
I mean, um, you don't even have any straight ahead punk or metal, which was like the Murder by Death album. I would argue, you know, has some tracks. That tracks, but there's no straight ahead just punk album. No, like beginning to end. Mm-mm. I would get bored with that after like a week or two, and yeah. and, and want something with more complexity to it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're kind of on the verge of a zombie apocalypse right now, just with uh, everybody staring at their phone. Yeah. And AI taking over every. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of a zombie um, possession. You know what I mean? Like it's doing yeah. our thinking for us, and we just developed the thing, and mm-hmm. in a little while, that's all we're gonna be. It's just my AI talking to your AI. A lot of people would sign up for this, Clay. I know. They would. It's because a lot of people are really stressed out about having to think for themselves. Yeah. Which I get. It's a lot to navigate out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice actually sitting down with somebody and looking Yeah. in your eyes and talking. Yeah, uh, y- y'all should all try that if you haven't yeah. recently. You should try going and looking somebody right in their eyeball and saying hello. Yeah, and don't, you know, if you're on your phone and somebody starts engaging you in a conversation, don't continue looking at your phone. Right. Be like, oh, it's okay. I'm doing this too. No, this is life. This is 3D. I've been trying to get a lot better about, and everybody's upset with me about it, but when I'm out in the day working or gigging or with my family the phone buzzes i don't do shit about it Mm. i wait until my day is over i put the kids to bed and then i respond to everything yeah i'm by myself and people are upset that i don't get back to them earlier but i can't multitask i've realized that and i I read a a study somewhere that said nobody can actually multitask (laughs) it's it's bullshit there was a study that said that um multitasking makes you worse at each task you're doing and it makes you worse at multitasking yeah exactly (laughs) pop used to say to me when i was a kid and you'd say this a couple times a day probably because i was always guilty of it you'd say son it's better to not do something at all than to do it half-assed and i'm like man if i only did things that weren't half-assed i would never do anything Every that's a theme of my life. Half you depend on deadlines. That should be my nickname, half-assed Rose. <laughs> okay, so one more question. Okay, you get one object oh, to take wow. to this cabin with your five records. Um, this is really, really hard. Um, would it be one of your bogglehead Pittsburgh <laughs> Pirate baseball players? No, I mean, just I. I think I've considered it lazy that so many people on the show have just said, oh, I would take my guitar. But that's exactly what I would take. Yeah, or my shotgun. Or a shotgun. I, I thought right. that was a smart one. It's a zombie apocalypse out there. You wanted a, a teddy bear with machine gun arms. That's like what a, I did want, because yeah. it's multifunctional. Mm-hmm. It can give you comfort. Yeah. You know, you can cuddle it, and then you can blast zombies' faces off with it as well. So what about... Um, an acoustic guitar. A furry that. acoustic guitar <laughs> with mariachi style that can shoot shotgun yeah, shells yeah, exactly. out of the headstock. That's what I'll take. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's exactly it. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with us. I'm sure everybody is just as happy to hear 
about you as I am because we'll see. We never get to see behind the curtain. No, I mean the interviewer is hopefully the the person who talks about him or her or their self the least. That's what I um, like in being influenced by other interviewers. That's what I like the most is when they just ask a question and then sit back. Yeah, I hate to talk trash, but um, I'm going to. I listen to Smartless. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Jason Bateman and Will Arnett mm-hmm. and... Um, Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes, thank mm-hmm. you. I never watched Will and Grace, so he was new to me. But they're, they're goofballs and they're idiots and they make fun of each other and it's hilarious and entertaining and then they have their guests on and they usually do really good. I just listened to an episode where they were live in Brooklyn mm. and their guest was AOC. Mm. They bring her out in her hometown into this sold out auditorium. They ask her like three questions, never give her a chance to answer because they keep making these stupid jokes over mm. top of her. And then halfway through the interview, Jason Bateman's like, oh my gosh, who is this? Surprise guest. And Bradley Cooper comes out on stage. And, and sits down, <laughs> and the three of them just tell Hollywood stories for the rest of her interview. And you never get to hear her talk, like, at all. And it was the episode I was the most excited yeah. about. I was like, wow, they really have somebody with substance. Like, she's my hero. Like, she's the only person I can think of that if she ran for president, mm-hmm. I would literally go hit in the streets mm-hmm. in, in, for her cause. And, I mean, you know, come on. I don't want to hear about Bradley Cooper's keg party from 1989. I could give yeah. a shit. AOC is sitting on the stage. Yeah. So that was a perfect example of the host talking about <laughs> himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was meta. Yeah. I was talking about my own experience and bitching about that exact thing. When you interview people at Roots, everybody learns so much about the subject. And that should be the goal. I hope that's the case. Yeah. I, I, I'm always off book, and I don't know what I'm saying or what I'm doing. But I am interested in people, mm-hmm. and I find that the more I shut up, the more I learn. Yeah, so we'll shut up now and go play a show in Greeley. All right, yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll give you another hour, then I've got to run, i got to fly away, leave you to fall. That was Clay Rose of Gasoline Lollipops stopping by to host my birthday episode of Mile High Stash. Um, he's been a good friend, and I've traveled a lot of country roads with Clay, playing music in Colorado, Wyoming, and you know Belize and Belgium and and Holland and um, I hope you come out to check us out at um, Oscar Blues in Longmont this Saturday, August 19th. It'll be Clay with me on drums and the great Scotty Coulter on keys. Um, I will hopefully see you there if you're in Colorado or and um, and or I'll see you right here on Monday as usual for another episode of Mile High Stash.
buddy, you want to try and sign.